The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. What's good, y'all? Jordan here. I'm recording this about a week after we actually had this podcast recorded because we forgot to do a real intro because we, Schwabzy and I, were just so excited to talk to the just delightful human being known as Ellen Adair. Uh, So gracious with their time. Almost two hours, I think, we spent together trying to get this podcast recorded through tech difficulties and all. Uh, Was an absolute soldier. So thank you, Ellen, so much for joining us. Real quick at the top, just want to do the usual social media stuff. Follow us at In The Deep PL. You can follow me at Bunt Singles and then Schwebzy at his namesake, Schwebzy. That is S-H-W-E-B-S-I. Also, be sure to drop us a feedback or mailbag question in our pinned tweet in our shared profile. And then like, follow, subscribe, and leave a five-star review of the podcast on your platform of choice. And without further ado, please enjoy our podcast with Ellen Adair. And I am going to do this very loosely. I don't know if you've listened to an episode of our podcast before, but it is I very. I have. No, probably not. I, I went back. I don't recommend because it. I, because we were having you on, I went and listened to like a couple episodes of Take Me Into the Ball Game. Oh, thank yes. you. Yeah, I went and obviously because I'm. I listened to episodes of your podcast. That was a joke. I'm sorry. It was a joke that didn't oh, land. But oh. yes. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That I still don't I recommend it. It's beautiful it. about how you hate each other. <laughs> it's really, I'm not used to like any sort of just, I don't know how to read Schwebzy most of the time when he's telling jokes. I think it's just because I'm mostly a little bit dumb and no, I just don't sense sarcasm. untrue. Yeah, no, but factually inaccurate. I feel like we're just rolling into this just kind of naturally rather than doing like a real intro. So like, hi everyone, welcome to In the Deep. Uh, we're joined here this week by obviously my Good friend and co-host Christopher Schwebzy Weber, but also we have a guest for the first time since last offseason, actor of stage and screen, author and baseball fanatic, especially for the Phillies, Ellen Adair. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here talking with both of you. As I just said, it's so beautiful the way you two hate each other. It just it gives me hope. It radiates through like every word we say. In yeah. the podcast, I think you can really yeah. tell that we're we are really just an old married couple that are just sick of each other at this point, but we're in it till the bitter end. It's so beautiful to see, you know, like there's <laughs> just there's there's so much that's difficult in the world right now. Yes. And it just it it renews my faith in humankind. Yeah. 
<laughs> I do. I, I really hope the loathing comes through. It does. Oh, absolutely. It does. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Never fear, my friend. And that's why we brought someone in to kind of spice things up. Obviously, we need to bring Ellen Adair, of course, in to spice things up here. Oh my God. Uh, I'm and make so this... excited to be the person you brought in to spice things up. Well, you this are someone. The, uh, this is always the role that I want to play in life. Well, that's the thing is like, this is a great segue. This is perfect. You are someone who's like very adamant about having like a polyamorous baseball lifestyle, quote it's unquote, true. from yes. your 2019 Fenway Nation article about that and kind of explaining your kind of flow chart of how you cheer for teams and things like that. Yeah. So we know that you're a Phillies fan. Obviously, you have like different allegiances. You lived in Boston for a while, so you have some affinity for the Red Sox. You live in Queens now, so you're like a little bit of a Mets fan, sort of, even though they are in the same division as the Phillies. So what are the biggest advantages of having that sort of polyamorous baseball lifestyle? Well, there are many advantages, uh, but basically I think it's that people think that there's a finite amount of baseball love and there isn't, you know, like love is not a countable noun and your love can just grow and grow and expand and include more and more teams and players and appreciation of baseball. And uh, practically, it means just being able to root for anyone in any given matchup. So yes, that just means that like whatever the baseball is, I can decide to care about it. And this was really put to the test in this past uh, postseason um, when I was really like, wow, the, a lot of these teams here are not at the top of the flow chart. And how am I going to? watch this world series You're really scraping um, the bottom of the barrel really when it comes scraping to it. the bottom of yeah. the barrel yeah uh but still you know i watched <laughs> <laughs> yeah love for baseball so, is boundless really yes, it is it's as boundless as the sea and as deep the more the more i give the more i have for both are infinite that's i'm paraphrasing shakespeare but yeah <laughs> obviously as you would i mean i totally got that yeah uh so i gotta say I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a huge Shakespeare person, so a lot of your poetry book kind of fell on deaf ears for me this a little is bit. My but I really Christmas like present that you purchased my book. Of poetry. Oh, of course, I had to. I was... opened it. I am very touched. Okay, so this is the thing. I was gonna like try to pepper in little references to pieces of poetry that you wrote throughout the episode to see if you would catch on. But then I started reading it and I realized that most of it is above my grade level. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely well. untrue. And also <laughs> you might have failed because uh secret is that I wrote most of those poems uh, quite a while ago. <laughs> yes. You wrote those over the course of like many years, didn't you? They were published in different spots, right? Oh, yes. I mean, I think the, the poems that are in that uh, volume I wrote between the years of like 2004, maybe, to, to 2011, 2012. Yes. So, I, I mean, mostly I work on fictions these days. So uh, the, the novel that I'm working on has poetry like as part of its uh like plot uh so there's some poetry in it but yeah mostly work on on screenplays and and on my novel such as your they are. novel i know uh, it's so i gotta say i gotta say the best part about it personally this i mean i know that this is a podcast and not a visual medium whatsoever so me holding this up means nothing to the listeners but that's why i'm not showing the listeners my milwaukee brewers shirt Oh, but it's so shirt good. that I was wearing previously but yes i'm wearing both of these because it is jordan's birthday today when birthday. we are recording 
It is yes. my birthday. I am. And it is also Schwebzy's birth week. So happy birthdays to both of them. The sweet, sweet birthday boys. I mean, we are, are such great podcast co-hosts that we, I actually changed my birthday to be the same week as Jordan's. Oh, it wasn't like this so before. You. <laughs> it was just, just so it'd be easier best. for him to remember really is what yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> but this photo right here of you as Marie Antoinette. It was a great time. There were like 50 I, yards of silk in that dress. It was incredibly heavy. It looks incredible. It the is hair. worth all the effort. Yeah, the hair too. Fantastic. I mean, that's a wig. Uh, oh, it yes. would have been in the no. day also. Yes, I know. I know. Uh, yeah. No, what was very fun was I, because uh, I'm a real nerd, I read a Marie Antoinette biography because like, of course I did. And they said that she moved like she was gliding. And so I was like, I also will move as if I do not have feet, but little wheels. Um, and that was very difficult to do with how heavy the dresses were. But that was my artistic goal. She tried to wear roller skates underneath the dress, but they told her no, because she did, probably yeah, would have broken her neck. I know. It's yeah, it was just it was because I had to go. And this is not a joke sideways through the flies. <laughs> so I would have had to roller skate sideways, which was never a, a skill that I personally had. So. I, I've previously been outed on the internet as a Philistine. So I picture this as like Fred Flintstone twinkle toes going on under the uh, under the dress. I mean, I danced ballet for 18 years. And so oh. that's maybe not totally inaccurate, actually. Like I just I sort of never totally put my heels down while walking. A tiptoe so, walker. Yeah, Fred Flintstone just... is exactly the the image that you should have had. <laughs> Much more graceful, though. All right. Uh, to circle back to the polyamorous baseball lifestyle, I mean, you and Shrubsy actually do have somewhat similar rooting interests because you do live in Queens, obviously. Also a big Mets fan. Uh, you both well, really don't like the Yankees is probably the biggest commonality. Right. Yes, right? I was raised in a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees. <laughs> your, your list was, if I, if, I'm, if I remember this right, it was the Phillies, whoever's playing the Yankees, the Mets and the Red Sox. Was that it? Yes. Well, I mean, so I would say that like the the flow chart has probably shifted perhaps slightly since that time. Um, although what I what I wrote was that, you know, I need one of those shirts that's like I wrote for the, you know, Red Sox and anybody who beats the Yankees, but has like a lot of different clauses in it, which uh, my wonderful <laughs> yes. husband, Eric, actually made me that shirt. So I do own it. Um, and that at the bottom, it was like, and currently I'm crushing on blank and blank. And like the athletics have been in the currently crushing on for so long. I mean, we'll see if they stay there, if they like completely dismantle the team. But like I do have general sort of historical affection for the athletics as well. Um, so I think that they're like they have a firm place. Like I would consider myself an A's fan. Um, and they're, so they're somewhere at the top as well. It, in that article, you wrote that you liked the Mets because they seem like the opposite of everything the Yankees stand for. Yes. And as a Yankee hater and Mets fan, that warmed my heart. Uh, I, I like to tell when people ask me about my fandom and they ask me why I'm a Mets fan in New York, I like to say that there's two kinds of Mets. There's two kinds of baseball fans in New York. There's there's baseball fans and then there's Yankee fans. Yes. Uh, so yes. That, that very much made me happy when you uh, when you wrote that. Yeah, that strangely, Nicholas Peter Pollock uh, occupies that the the Yankee fan. It's so strange to me. Like I, I always tell him that I love everything about him except for the fact that he's a Yankees fan. <laughs> so actually, si since you're you're on this uh, episode, 
I have a feeling that Nick is going to listen to this one. He doesn't always. So I'm go- I, I would like to workshop a bit with you right now that we are planning on implementing regarding Nicholas Peter Pollock. Exciting. Uh, we, we are go so the the Peter thing uh, that's not his middle name. I know. Uh, <laughs> and so what we're going to be doing is every new episode we're going to give him a new middle name. And <gasps> Exciting. Yeah. So uh, last week, what was it, Pietro? Pietro, yes. Just um, staying with the Peter theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we we were we were googling uh, P names, and boy, do we have fun ones in store. Exciting! So, are are you going to unveil now? What is uh, Nick's middle name for this episode? I think, I think we should scrap whatever we were going to say, and I think that just naturally, Ellen, I want you to choose the next P name Please. that we choose for Nicholas. Insert P middle name here, Pollock. Now I feel now I feel put on the spot because I thought oh. of the name Philip, which it was just the first name that I thought of. And I don't know that that's the best, but it's just the first one that I thought of. And then I thought Nicholas Professor <laughs> Pollock would be pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Um, I, Nicholas yeah. Actually, we didn't think about that as an angle either is like just like using. Occupations. Well, it's also like descriptive. Yeah. Um, but and I mean. I feel as if if his parents had named him Nicholas Professor Pollock, they would have been sort of steering him towards a particular profession. You know, like it could happen that parents could be like, we really want our son to become a professor. And so we're going to make professor his middle name. That seems like a really weird thing to want your kid to be. Not to like judge parents out there because I'm not one. But like pushing them towards well, being a professor of all things. I shouldn't say that considering you have two. My parents uh, are both yeah, professors yeah. <laughs> and I don't think they would have ever pushed me towards that. And as, as a matter of fact, they obviously haven't, which is nice. Because your mother is an art historian. Your dad is a folklorist. You know more about me than me. I'm so impressed. I did my research. I wanted you to do like. So, you, you bought and like read some of my oh, book. I prepared. I really prepared. Oh I wanted to do like Nardwar so level, like Sean Evans, Hot Ones level insight into you and hopefully drop some knowledge while we were I'm recording. I'm sure that so. you have not like enjoyed what you have found there. So I apologize. You are. So, I don't know. I, that my favorite thing about doing stuff like this and having people on podcasts, I'm glad that we're having more guests on now. Um, I really love getting to know people. It, it is my favorite thing to do and like pick people apart. And I think that's something that you probably enjoy as an actor too. Cause you get to like, I do intimately know all of these people that you get to play as well. Oh so. yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do feel like the number one frustration of my entire life is that I will never really see the world the way another person sees it. I can mm-hmm. fabricate what I think is the way that they see the world, but I know that I am fabricating yeah. it through the lens of my own experience. I am trapped forever. But all I ever try to do is get out. Like everything that I do in my life is like, how can I get out of my own experience that I am constantly trapped in? So, yes. That was a lot of the common theme I felt like from the stuff that I did understand from reading your poetry book. There was a lot of that, of the longing to be someone else. Yes. So that was really, really cool to read but yes okay we were talking about previously uh you mentioned very briefly baseball crushes you talked about the athletics is there any other specific players right now that you find yourself crushing on in any capacity or that you're looking at crushing on in 2022 that you want to play really really well Oh, my God. I mean, so I have so many baseball boyfriends. This is like the official term. Yes. 
Yes. Um, so there are many players that I love. That is like a wide C. And then after some time, after like much, much love and concerted thought, I will I will cement the relationship and be like, this is one of my baseball boyfriends. <laughs> um, so I in terms of. Uh, I mean, if I were to, if I were to name my baseball boyfriends, I mean, obviously I have a number of baseball boyfriends on the Phillies. I mean, the newest yes. one that I probably have is, is Ranger Suarez. Ranger Suarez is an officially a baseball boyfriend now. Um, but obviously Aaron Nola, Reese Hoskins and JT Romuto are previously existing Phillies baseball boyfriends. Yes. Uh, and then the other baseball boyfriends that I have, this is going to be like really a test of my memory as to whether or not I can remember all of them or if somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. Um, Shohei Otani, obviously. Duh. Uh, I mean, I know he's everybody's baseball boyfriend, but uh, the very first Pitcher List podcast that I was on, however long ago that was, I talked about how my uh, my favorite uh, fantasy team has been uh, named Shohei Closer Otani Dancer uh, since the yes. like Love since it. Shohei Otani has been with us in the United States, and so like I have always been a huge Otani believer. Uh, and uh, Noah Syndergaard was previously my Mets baseball boyfriend, but fortunately, a long-standing baseball boyfriend of mine um, since his time on the Tigers is Max Scherzer. So really, I'm just like yes. swapping him out. Yes. And uh, I do also uh, love Trey Turner. And I love, uh, oh, these are, sorry, obviously, these are baseball boyfriends. Uh, and uh, <laughs> both of the uh, corner infield mats on the athletics who are probably going to be dismantled. That's very sad. And uh, Xander Bogarts. I'm sorry that it took me so long to name you, Xander. I love you. And uh, Zach Gallen and Catal Marte. Zach Allen, of course, of the uh, very infamous PitchCon presentation <laughs> where you talked so openly and much to Nick Pollock's chagrin about edging, uh, I, I, which enshrined, I, I, you, enshrined you in both Schwebzy and my heart. Uh, I mean, was, I think technically what uh, I said was I'm not going to make a joke about edging. I mean, his edge percentage, it was just very... High. Sexy. It's yeah. very sexy. It so, was. yeah, I don't... I think... I think I got everybody. Those those are the official baseball boyfriends. Um, but of course, I feel like, you know, there are there are sort of like new crushes um, from mm. this past year. And I, oh, I mean, not a baseball boyfriend, but like then there are guys that I'm just like, man, I just love this guy that I'm almost like it doesn't quite make sense. Who I'm thinking of specifically is like nobody here. None of the like new crushes that I probably have from this past year are like super surprising or outside of the box. There isn't a new uh, David Fletcher is the guy that I was thinking of. I'm just like, look at this guy. I freaking love him. And like only half of my reasons make any sense. <laughs> just like love David Fletcher. Anyway, um, so certainly uh, maybe kind of a I mean, there may be all cop outs, but like uh, Jonathan India. Because, mm. like, do I love a rookie with a double-digit walk rate? I do. I do. We really do. do. Yeah. Ladies love plate discipline, right? They they absolutely do. <laughs> and, like, non-binary people also love plate discipline. I've sort of been, like, wondering about renaming my clubs, but whatever. I mean, Jonathan India, he had the best Z-swing percentage in the majors. And he was in the top 20 percentage for O-swing. So just, like, my man. My man. I love him. Um... But uh, 
just to prove that I have no type unless it's second baseman, I also love Jazz Chisholm, um, which, I mean, I remember when I was like, how could the Marlins possibly give up Zach Gallen? And like, nobody could be worth <laughs> Zach Gallen. And like, to some extent, I still feel like I'd take the Zach Gallen side of that. But I also yeah. love Jazz Chisholm. I'm just like, I have a crush on this trade. Excuse me. It's the first time that I've ever felt myself uh, attracted to a trade on both sides, I guess. So, you know, I mean, I understand that uh, there are there are some uh ladies love plate discipline problems with Zach, uh, with the uh, jazz Chisholm. Uh, obviously, you know, like his strikeout rate, it's not great. And his walk out, his walk rate is also not great. Um, but do I just love him anyway? Like, yes. Like it's just, you know, the power and the speed and it's his panache. And I mean, his defense is much better than Jonathan. Yes. Is. So I mean, if I'm willing to overlook that for Jonathan, I can overlook some stuff for Jazz just because, you know, like the heart wants what it wants, you know? I can fix him. <laughs> I can fix him. Totally. I, will, I mean, I will actually, literally... that is not an opinion that I have about the like, real people that I know. <laughs> uh, no, Jazz Chisholm hit like a hundred mile an hour Jake DeGrom fastball up near his neck for a home run this year. And I will, I will literally, I'll never forget that. I remember that. It was, it was an absurd a, hit. I know. Like, I was like, no one does that. No one does uh, that. I don't even uh, remember necessarily like him swinging the bat. The thing that I remember most vividly about that moment is Jake DeGrom, like just incredulously looking over his shoulder. Like nobody does this to me. I'm Jacob DeGrom. Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. knows that he knows he's the goat. Like he knows that he's an absolute just oh, yeah. self-aware oh, yeah. like he knows how good he is but like that is yeah i mean that was yeah, one of the coolest moments of jazz i want to make you look bad mentality like he yes. knows how good he is yeah yeah but, and uh, yet I, it's still sexy yes, oh, yeah. uh, yes. I, I have i've actually been informed with my baseball crushes uh that i have a type you because, do you really well, do well, when i think baseball <laughs> crushes i'm absolutely uh, objectifying these men and like my baseball crushes were like chris bryant and uh Chris Kevin Kiermaier is very attractive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin yeah, I'm not, I'm not a real fan attractive. of the the mo- pseudo mohawk thing that he has going on sometimes. But um, I, I've I saw some uh, baseball crush discourse going on on Twitter once, and uh, a friend a friend of the podcast, Michael Ahedo, said like, "Oh, Kevin Kiermaier is not actually that attractive. He's just a white guy with nice eyes." <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I get my that's my type. Oh. Apparently, that is my type. That's I mean, because Kevin Kiermaier is very attractive. It's like he's a jawline for me. He's it's an objective jawline. But that's the thing. It might also just be like, I mean, it is probably just like a very nice jawline, but also he's got like a really nice, like well-sculpted beard, like real good facial hair too. Like the whole, the whole thing is stubble. just like really well put together. Can we just um, talk about Kevin Kiermaier for a while, guys? Absolutely. We can talk about Kevin Kiermaier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the you thing- know, like injured almost 32, but yeah. Yeah. The thing about, okay. The thing about Schwabzi's type when it comes to baseball crushes is that it plays exactly into what Schwebzi's strengths are too. He is a white dude with very nice eyes. It's there's there's some like hubris and some ego there that it's it's kind of very, very much Alex Rodriguez caressing a mirror. They look a lot alike. (laughs) Yes. 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 It's like have y'all been together for like three months or have you been together since the womb? Right. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I really don't know. I mean, uh. I think that there's I there's perhaps 
I don't know, I've heard the psychological thing that like you tend to be attracted to somebody who like kind of resembles your parents potentially. Yeah. So like if you then end up resembling your parents because genetics, like, I mean, I don't know, I guess it makes sense. I will say that like both Jonathan India and Jazz Chisholm are like also beautiful. And I don't think that that's, I mean, it's not the number one factor for me in a baseball crush, uh, but it never hurts. For me, it's mostly how people carry themselves on the field and like how much fun they seem to be having while playing. That's the biggest thing for me, I think. For me, there really isn't an organizing principle. It's just like sometimes I'm just like, yeah, I just love this guy an extra amount and I just can't explain why. I I love the Fletcher one in particular. Oh, man, I love Because there's no good reason for that. There's really not any good reason. I mean, except for like, I don't know, if you like really love, you know, zone contact rate. The re- I mean, I think the real reason that I love David Fletcher is because he is from a different time. Yes. Yeah. And just like can't help it. He's just got to go ahead and like be himself. And I feel that very strongly that like I am from a different time and I'm like just adapting, but like not that well, like I'm, I, I'm okay. Like we'll play. Also, I mean, David Fletcher's defense is pretty good. It is. Uh, and like, you know, I mean, I, I was in love with Stephen Drew, who is not like an offensive superstar. And part of what I loved about him was that he wasn't that like he had just, and I, think I maybe even wrote about this in the um in the Fenway Nation article but like he just had like so much swagger when he was playing defense and then was like Charlie Brown when he came up to the plate and I just <laughs> loved it about him so yeah like there really isn't an organizing principle um although I mean I do feel like obviously I love second baseman, I guess, or at least like in 2021, I did. Because do you know who else I love? Ty France. Like, Yes, that's actually a big like fantasy baseball. Like people still want him to pop off and be like big. Um, and he like it feels like he hasn't quite put everything together, but he's getting there. He's trending in the right direction, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think what was what was perhaps missed by some, although probably not many listeners of this fine podcast. Is Ooh, that thank like, you so much. Uh, <laughs> um, is that, you know, he, the, he had that sort of early slump because he got, I think, hit on the wrist by a pitch. Yes. And, uh, and that was not him. That was the wrist injury. And like, I did not miss this nuance because I had him on like three teams. <laughs> oh, you were acutely aware at that point. That's like a lot of people this year who had Cabrian Hayes because he also was dealing with wrist issues as well. Yes. He had a sister move, I think something like that recently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the wrist injuries sap a lot of people's power. Same thing with like someone who I have a crush on, just basically the infielders of the Milwaukee Brewers having Fair. Luis Arias and uh, Willie Adamas. Uh, Luis Arias had wrist issues that he was dealing with, kind of the same thing. And like Willie Adamas couldn't see in the trop. And now yeah, they both feel like, like they're on the freed. up and up. He's free he now. And yeah, it makes me so, delightful. so happy. But seeing those two so love on each too. other is just like my favorite <sighs> thing about watching the Brewers. It's just so delightful. Yeah. I mean, speaking of another crush, oh, I like, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. I mean, you probably have because you're a Brewers fan. Um, <sighs> Aaron Ashby? I, this is, it's a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. Who? 
I'm not I mean, gonna he's ta- great. He's great. No, no, no. I just I'm not I, gonna talk. I'm not gonna talk about him. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna this. You, you're not. I'm not, Ellen. I'm not gonna allow you to derail this podcast. We're supposed to be talking about what you want to talk about. Let me get you a branch to clamp down on. Aaron Lashby. Yeah. Um, no, I just. I almost. I. I think I. I wanted to say that at first, and then I got derailed into my own talking about my baseball boyfriends, and like he is not an official baseball boyfriend, so that would have been a lie on my part, and I forgot that that was the first thing that I wanted to say, and so I tried to circle back, and it was not as effective, but. I, think I appreciate the two main themes of this podcast are <laughs> deep fantasy baseball leagues and getting derailed. <laughs> you have the right guest on for getting That's derailed. So at least it's what I do. We it's love what I tangents. Do. We love tangents yeah. more than anything, honestly. Like that's where our best content comes from. It's not even our fantasy analysis. It's just when, like, there was an episode. I don't know, probably like two or three months ago, like right near the end of the season, where I talked about squirrels for five minutes. <laughs> just stuff that they do. I I don't know why. I vaguely remember this. What was the inciting incident to this? It's because my power went, or my, yeah, my power, my internet went out. I can't remember. Had chewed through the power line. Yes. 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 The reason that they do that is because their teeth, I'm going to talk about it again, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because the front teeth grow at like a crazy rate and they have to chew on things to make sure they don't grow bigger than their face can allow it's like, essentially it's like gerbils i had uh, amongst have, various pets i had gerbils as a child and you have to give them things to chew on because otherwise their teeth will not stop growing you cannot Another see fun him fact about squirrels yes is that when you see them lying completely flat sometimes which is my favorite possible position to see a squirrel and i still remember the first time <laughs> i saw it i was like is something wrong with that squirrel it's to cool themselves down yes uh was that More one of your area. facts no, I don't think okay. I've said that. I just, I just, I know, I just know that after we were done recording that episode, I went and looked up more squirrel facts. So I did read that. And that's the only reason I know oh that. God. You're the uh, best person. Uh, oh. But no, we have, so me and my roommate, we have a chinchilla, an elderly ah. chinchilla that we adopted named Merlin. Uh, so he also, same thing, has to get things to chew on to keep his front teeth in check and everything like that. So lots of, lots of rodent knowledge in this mm-hmm. household for some odd reason i don't know why because uh, rodents are adorable they really are it's the little yeah. hand it's the little hands it's uh, it's, I mean, me. it's and the little noses and the little eyes and the small ears and you know the, see that's the, the thing <sighs> fur the best thing about chinchillas is the fact that they're like half bunny and half mouse they got it, the big old ears what's not to love yep they're just so beautiful also uh, half cloud Yes. They yes. really are so soft. It's incredible. A oh, full man. 50% of each. <laughs> uh, so actually, uh, I, I need I need advice. Um, oh, ooh. So uh, my, my wife just got uh, an allergy panel done, and we found out that she's allergic to, like, everything. I sympathize. So, but I, I don't think rodents are on that list. So I'm trying to come up with, like, a good mm. pet possibility here. I was thinking, Ish. like, a sugar glider, maybe? Or like a a chinchilla? I don't know. So the thing about chinchillas, is she allergic to dust? Yes. Everyone's allergic to dust. Yeah, they take they literally bathe in dust. They take dust baths. And it gets so everywhere. But uh I mean <laughs> guinea pigs are sweet. Yes. They are. You know, like the, you can cuddle a guinea pig a little bit more than you can like cuddle some of the other rodents. Although if you get them when they're a baby and, you know, you handle them a lot uh, when they're young, then they will, you know, my gerbils would just like hang out in my shirt pocket. 
Um, That's adorable. So, yeah, but oh it's just, like the more the closer in size that they are to to being something like a bunny that you could pet. And what we really want to do is like go to Australia and like capture a quokka. I don't know what that is. I don't know that that sounds like a super <laughs> Shmubzi, advisable. Shmubzi is incredulous over this fact. I, I, as soon as this podcast is over, I need to show you a million pictures of quokkas. I just need to make a note of that. Yeah. No, I'm sure that Put it that will enrich notes. my life. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> all, right, uh, all right. No, this, this is incredibly far from baseball. So, Jordan, I mean, can you get us back on track? more people that I have a, a, a new crush on, if you want. Like, I could probably talk about that forever. I don't you think can I talk about that if you want. Any or, pictures. Well, I only talked about second baseman. <laughs> I mean, I know that I know that Ty France mostly played first base, but yeah. Well, we can talk about a pitcher though, because you talked you mentioned him before, and you didn't get a chance to really deep dive into him. What about Ranger Suarez? Last oh. year, 100, 106 innings, one three six ERA, even one WHIP. Like, really, really incredible year for a guy who didn't numbers. have any like like he didn't have any like super dominant pitches necessarily but all of his pitches were really really good it felt like um so like what are you excited about especially with him coming into 2022 well i mean i i have been a ranger suarez truther for some time um Mm. because in in 2020 i was saying that ranger suarez should be in the rotation over vince velasquez which is of course not like a huge take that's Um, not a hot take yeah yeah Uh, but like n- nobody knew or care about, cared about Ranger Suarez at that point. And yeah. I grant that like this was based on just him being very good out of the bullpen in 2019 mm-hmm. and um, then being given some starts in 2020 spring training games, um, like not all of which were even televised for me to see. Um, <laughs> but he was really good in spring training. And I was like, yeah, Ranger Suarez. Yes, you're going to save us from the like Vince Velasquez hell that we just like the Sartre play of Vince Velasquez. Vince that we Velasquez can never should, exit. He should only play left field. That's it. Oh, man. And when I mean, there's a lot of great things to love about Vince Velasquez. Um, so I apologize for making... <laughs> For casting aspersions on him. And yes, when he plays left field, he's got a cannon arm. Um, But, uh, you know, it seemed to me like Suarez was vying for the fifth spot there in spring training in 2020. And then it was like all forgotten when we got around to the actual season by like everyone but me. And I'm grateful for getting to be on podcasts because at least there's like auditory evidence of my saying so. And, you know, at this time last year being like, well, look out for this guy if the Phillies don't pick up somebody else. And so, I mean, the thing that's interesting is that like his pitch usage was different in 2019 and and early in 2020, um, what I was seeing then. And he was using his slider a lot more. And so part of one of the things that I thought was like a plus um, was that I was like, oh, he's got these four pitches, which he all uses more than 20% of the time. Mm -hmm. But the slider was obviously the weakest pitch. And uh, it has been much more effective by most of the metrics, basically by his choice to use it less often. So like when he does use it, he has very good outcomes from now because it's kind of like, surprise, like I have a slider. Um, So the argument that Nick makes about the weakness of the Phillies schedule down the stretch when Suarez was starting is completely legit. Um, I mean, I would like to point out that like, you know, I think he still faced the Dodgers and the Rays in there and did Mm -hmm. well. Um, And like, 
does he have is he a 1.36 ERA guy like no absolutely but, not but n- like no nobody is anybody who has a 1.36 ERA like luck has factored in there somehow I think yeah. um I think that Suarez is particularly not a 1.36 ERA guy um but I I do think that there's a chance though I uh like I love him forever in real baseball. I feel like there is a chance that he is being perhaps overdrafted this year. Um just just because just because of that particular sample size or not just the sample size but like the teams that he was facing. I think that's a fair point. Um that said, here's a question that I have yes. always wanted to ask Nick, but somehow some other baloney is always coming out of my mouth instead. You're going to ask two smarter people. So I'm going to ask two smarter people. Uh, And so my question is, because part of of Nick's analysis is like, well, but he only really has the two pitches. But my question is, why don't the four seam and the sinker count as two different pitches? And Maybe the answer is that like everybody's fastballs get grouped by stats on baseball savant and on pitcher list. And so it's hard to parse, Mm -hmm. but like practically he's got three pitches, you know, I mean, four, if you include the slider that he rarely uses, but like he uses (sighs) three pitches. So that's the thing. I really think that the idea of a starting pitcher only having two pitches, like one, I don't think it's necessarily true because you see someone like Kevin Gaussman who's got basically his fastball and then he's got his splitter and that's basically it. And he sees plenty of success. I I think that's a little bit of malarkey is the best word I could come up with in the moment. Uh, I mean, I also get that like, it's not a great fastball. Do you know what I mean? Like if Ranger Suarez were throwing 97 and it were two pitches, it would be a different equation. Like I get that. Um, Sorry, Schwebsy, you were going to say? So my, my Ranger Suarez story is that when the Phillies bullpen was really, really struggling, I was looking oh, you mean up like and down always? the list at the arms, <laughs> like, like always, like always. Um, but uh, the, um, I want to say this was in about July-ish, maybe August. Uh, I'm looking at the arms in the bullpen and I'm like looking at Suarez. And I said on this podcast a bunch of times, like they have to give Suarez the role. He's the only one that deserves it based on their production. And I was really happy when they gave him the role. And then when they moved into the rotation, I was like, oh, no, my my new elite closer is being moved to the rotation. I don't know how I feel about this because at the time I was like, he only has two pitches and I was concerned. But his four seamer and his sinker do wind up being distinct pitches because he locates them to completely different areas. So he's a lefty and he throws the sinker basically exclusively to his arm side and uh you know a- away from a righty and then he throws the four seamer like up and in to a righty so it's yeah it's basically like the 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 diametric opposites of the quadrant right. are yep. where the four seam and where the two seam go totally so the i mean the pitches play differently now i still it, it's not a super common thing for pitchers to have really effective four seamers and two seamers and I know Nick doesn't like two seamers in general because Nick likes strikeouts. So he's he's a notorious hater of sinker dominant pitchers. Um, I, I I give him guff for that constantly. Um, but I, the schedule thing has merit. Yes, 
but as long as he's get like as as long as he keeps getting good results on all four of his pitchers, I don't I I'm not gonna be mad at it. Like I'm it, he's doing it. Well, you know? totally. I, yeah, and and I mean the sinker is key to like his elite ground ball percentage, which is yes. of course like how he gets it done, though not getting a ton of strikeouts. Like he mm-hmm. had the third best ground ball percentage in the majors last year with more than 100 innings pitched. Um, so number one is Framber Valdez. Number two is Logan Webb. And then there's Ranger Suarez. And like Those the sinker, really good pitchers. Who are two really good pitchers. Yes. Um, and the sinker specifically is where he's getting his negative launch angle. So like, you know, that's the pitch that he's using for that. So, I mean, I also have to say, and this is uh, very unanalytic, but I just love this dude because he is fearless like he's just Mm -hmm. cliff lee unflappable and just like seems like such also a delightful human so i was sitting um behind the dugout at a game at city field and when all the players were like running out onto the field before the game he like came up to the railing and high-fived everybody on their way out like Ranger Suarez was the guy being like, yeah, attaboy, attaboy, attaboy. And I was like, oh, man, I love I love him so much. And I know that like factors aren't like this aren't cool to talk about. But I do think that they it's certainly how completely unflappable he is, I think, is a factor to um, I mean, like longstanding the why I like loved him since 2019 Um, and also why I, I think I think that he has a probably fairly high floor that is my feeling um yes yes, obviously not the strikeout upside that we've talked about um but i mean i don't know a tragedy to me seems the fact that like probably i'll never get to see ranger suarez get another double or like a baltimore chop base hit because he's just like you know he's just got moxie (laughs) (laughs) i mean to his credit i i love the fact that he pitched in like long relief as a closer and as a starter and just succeeded mightily in every role like everything they threw at him he just he passed every test with flying colors i love that yeah, yeah that speaks to the unflappable part like yeah, said, and i mean like- i think the unflappable part probably also speaks to why he has uh managed to succeed in the phillies organization it's <laughs> a really good point i, I mean but ugh. i'm super mad that his adp is what it is because because I'm, I'm probably not going to have him in a single league this year because he's getting drafted based on a 1.3 ERA and right, yeah, yeah. and he's, he's. I mean, it's it's like if you look at the peripherals, you're like, yeah, I will take a 3.3 ERA that would match his xFIP. Like I would totally yeah. take that from him, but yeah, that's not where he's being drafted. So I guess that's sort of the point that I was getting to about like I think he's maybe being a little overdrafted. Fortunately, I have him in the Scott White 2014 Dynasty League, so I know that I will hey. have a share of Ranger Suarez. Um, and will not need to draft him, but yeah, like I might, I might, you know, like we'll see what happens, but I'm not like, oh man, I love Ranger Suarez. He's my new baseball boyfriend. I got to make sure that I draft him on every team because I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It seems like he has a little bit of helium. And I say this as, you know, the person not related to him who might love him most. (laughs) So you have, okay. So his ADP, I think is like somewhere in like the 160, 170 range right now. Where would you feel comfortable drafting him? If you were going to take him in a draft, I mean, probably not that much later than that, to be honest. I think yeah. I somehow I thought 
Uh, and it would be great if some of my thinking about this had included uh, seeing where he was being drafted right now. I thought it was a little <laughs> earlier than that. Um, I guess I don't know why I thought it was more like the 120 range. Um, but I think it was at one point. Okay. All right. So at least that's not like the totally baseless idea that I came up his, with from his my crazy brain. Pick, his minimum pick in NFB, NFBC is 97. Okay. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So I early. feel like when he, when there were only like six drafts worth of data, I think he was like way up there. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, depending, I, it's such a cop out, I know, to be like, depending upon the composition of my team, but like, I could potentially take him there. I feel like I'd feel better taking him in the like 180, 200 range. I can dig that. I All don't right, so know I, that that's ever going to happen, you know? <laughs> I mean, this is actually a, a good segue because they basically pulled a mid-rotation starter out of nowhere in the middle of the season, which is awesome for the Phillies and awesome for the Phillies near future. So what are you hoping that they do to fill out the rest of the team in this offseason? Oh, gosh. I mean, the first move that I want to see, provided that the CBA still makes this possible, is to stop treating the luxury tax like an electric fence. Um, because, yes, like the the problems uh, with the organization. Shut up. <laughs> Mr. Money Mr. Moneybags over there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Daddy Daddy Warbucks over there. Uncle <laughs> Uncle Warbucks. Um so uh hedge bucks would have been the better joke for me to make. Ooh. Sorry, it took me a second. Um We got there. Yeah, eventually. It's Thanks. okay. This Thanks, this entire team. podcast pretty much every single week is workshops, so don't feel bad about workshopping the joke. <laughs> like- <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um so I just feel like if John Middleton wants to win with the team that he's got, it doesn't make any sense why he wouldn't throw like just a little bit more money after everything that he's invested, you know, because I just feel like looking back at the Phillies teams of the last couple of years, given that there were expanded playoffs in 2020, the Phillies could have been a playoff team two years in a row if they would have just had a league average bullpen or like if the fifth starter gamble last year hadn't had been like one rung above Matt Moore and Chase Anderson. Like they don't, I'm not asking them to like blow past the luxury tax. I'm not like, Oh yeah, they'll be so much better if they sign every single free agent that still exists. But like, I'm just saying like, don't let the tax on a $10 million overage prevent you from putting the $2 million that you already spent to good use. Like, I know it's not my money, but it already seems penny wine and pound foolish. Um, But I mean, the reason that I say this is like a first proviso, even though I don't think it's what is going to happen, is because there are just so many problem areas that need to be addressed. Um, and it's going to be hard if the luxury tax is seen as like a moat of burning fire. Um, so the main holes are the center field and left field and obviously like the gaping maw of of the bullpen. Um, yeah. Because, of course, the Phillies were... The Phillies bullpen was better in this past year, which was also the year that it set the uh, historical record for blown saves. Um, but there are I'm a sorry lot. To of, laugh. No, no, it's like that it's, would be, it's the that only would be the possible nickname. response. The gaping maw. That would be a dope nickname if it signified like a one bullpen ERA and not a six. Uh yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah, or like a nine. Um, it's which, my next yeah. name. I feel like it would have to be a gaping gaping maw if like it started with a zero because that's like a gaping maw Mm. for Mm -hmm. an ERA. But yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah, that would be good. Yes, exactly. Um, I think I was just thinking of like a literal wound. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So it may make Schwebzy happy to know that when I was prepping to talk about my Phillies offseason plan on MLB Network, the two outfielders that I wanted were Starling Marte and Mark Canna. Um, oh, our, New York our, Mets, Mark Canna yeah. and Starling Marte? The very, the very <laughs> those, ones. Those? Yeah. Sorry, it's my. I'm so sorry. It's my natural instinct to raz Phillies fans. I'm so sorry. I cannot. I literally can't help it. I, I mean that it makes sense. You know, it's like dogs and cats. Um, except for I guess I'm just like a dog who likes cats. Also, I don't know. Uh, You're a cat dog. Nickelodeon's cat dog. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's true that I'm actually probably a cat who likes dogs. Um, this is true, but I have great disdain for other cats. This is the truth about me. Um, so, I mean, uh, Canna and uh, Marte are like players that I love, but like this is, here's, here's what I have learned. This is not a very strong class of defensive outfielders. And every single off season, I'm just trying to figure out how to upgrade the Phillies defense because every single year they continue to be an atrocity and make the ladies <laughs> love smartly executed defensive plays cotillion weep into their handkerchiefs. <laughs> um, so Marta and Canna are no longer great defensively, but it's just that like most of the other free agent outfielders with decent bats are even worse. Um I do recognize that Marte's defense is maybe on the decline and he's probably going to have to shift to a corner position, maybe not this year, but soonish. And so, I mean, maybe my version of razzing you back is being like, maybe it's for the best to not have him fenced in in center field. But like, that's the best I can do because, yeah, I'm bad at trash talk. Um, but so basically, like looking at it, I'm like, oh, well, the Phillies need to trade for a center fielder. This has to happen. There's there there is nobody to buy who can play center field. Um, and so there are three main targets, one of whom we've already talked about uh, on this podcast, uh, one being Kevin Kiermeyer. Mm, um, okay. Who is maybe not my first choice, but uh, you know, because he is going to be 32 and only has one more guaranteed year on his contract, um, he might not be as expensive is part of what I'm thinking. And the Phillies do not have a lot of prospect capital capital from which to deal. Um, yes. I worry about the red not bringing out his eyes. He's in such a good spot right now. It's, it's true. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> so, uh, in that case, uh, for the sake of Schwebzy, who, of course, already has Starling Marte and Mark Canna, not that I'm bitter or anything. So for your sake, um, the one I'd maybe like most is Ramon Laureano, um, whom I love, PED suspension and all. And I know that he hasn't been mentioned in the sort of A's trade talks as much, but I feel like, you know, if they are dismantling, maybe Ramon Laureano could also be for sale. Um and I kind of wonder if the fact that, you know, I think he's still got like a month left on his suspension. And so maybe that could uh, like decrease the cost, the the trade cost a little bit. And, yeah. you know, the Phillies can just like, you know, play Mickey Moniak or maybe even Scott Kingery for a month and just let them have decent defense and be a hole in the lineup. And like, that's fine because Ramon Laureano is coming and I love Ramon Laureano. Um Another option is Brian Reynolds, uh, but I don't know if the Phillies have enough prospects to deal for him and also solve their immediate problems. Because if they need to give up Bryson Stott, what are they going to do at shortstop? Uh, because friends, uh, Didi Gregorius is not guaranteed 
the shortstop job because, no. yeah, um, though he is a, a delightful human being, he was just so awful this past year. And yeah. uh, like I being who I am, I could potentially bank on a bounce back offensive performance like 68 WRC plus last year and all if the defense had not just been like a five alarm fire. And yeah. oh, like, I mean he has not been great defensively for a while. Like he has the worst outs above average at shortstop since 2018. And it's not even close. And I understand that it was the pseudo gout that was bothering him all year. Mm -hmm. And so like, maybe it's better with an off season of rest, but like, it's never been great. And so, you know, for, for anybody who's maybe not a Phillies fan and did not follow this piece of news, Dave Dombrowski kind of put him on notice at the end of the season. And he said, like the job is not necessarily his next year. But Dombrowski also didn't mention shortstop in his list of holes that he's needing to fill, which just means if I say like one useful thing in this whole podcast, it might be Bryson Stott, uh, which it seems like many people think will not appear in the majors until 2023. And I feel like could easily appear in the majors in 2022 if the Phillies don't do something else to address that. I mean, he will need a little bit more time at AAA at a minimum. Um, but, you know, I think where he's where he's going right now um, certainly qualifies as like in the deep realm. Yes. And uh, and like he could he could take that job like that. That possibility exists. Um, and you know, I mean, he's, he's been doing very well. I know that there's been, many people have been talking about, you know, Bryson Stott, Stott tearing up the AFL, even though obviously it's, it was a, it was a fantastic environment for hitters in particular. Yes. Um, it maybe always is, but really was, uh, this past fall. And, um, nevertheless, like he, he's been fantastic at all levels. You know, he has like a consistently high batting average and high walk rate and some power. And so, you know, he played a little bit at AAA, so it's not unrealistic also, I think, to imagine that he would, he would, you know, play for a month or maybe a half a season at at AAA and we could see him in the majors. Yeah. I think that because right now Bryson Stott, I looked it up really quick. He is going right around pick 480 in NFBC ADP data. And this is dating back all the way to October. I did not filter it for like most recent drafts, but I mean, he's still getting picked in those leagues. That's 15 team leagues that are fairly deep. So some people have an eye on him, but that is a very, very late pick on average. And like, he's being picked as late as let's see your 663 in some of these drafts. So there's always the possibility that he will drop to you. So there's our fun little nugget from Ellen, which I appreciate because now he's on my radar a little bit more too. Yay. Yes. Yeah. No, I like I, I did one useful thing and justified my existence on this podcast. Hooray. We did one useful thing by inviting you on. <laughs> you did many, many, many useful things. Oh, yeah. stop it. Um, so <sighs> returning to the Phillies offseason, um, there there is a world in which Stott is traded and Dombrowski brings in another shortstop. But like, I just doubt that they can spend even Trevor Story dollars with their other needs. So then like, all of yeah. a sudden, I'm like, what is that? Is that another trade with like what that we possibly could have? But I mean, I don't know, maybe like Nick Ahmed or Nicky Lopez, uh, just because they've got uh, uh, Geraldo Perdomo and 
Bobby Witt, obviously, uh, sort of knocking on the door. So yes. I love both of those players in real life because defense. Um, so I, I mean, I guess I'd be fine with that, but I, I just feel like it's my, my preferred off season plan would not include trading Bryson Stott, not just because like, Oh, hoarding prospects, but because like, uh, we need him right now. We need him yesterday. Um, so let's say we're trading for a center fielder, ideally Ramon Laureano, but we're keeping Stott. And the player that I would most like them to sign, um, like the splashy middle of the order bat, um, would be Chris Bryant to play left field. Um, Ooh, but I also like that. because he can move to third base if you continue to have an Alec Bohm problem, um, because you can always stick Matt exit velocity veerling in left field and survive. Um, so more realistically, I feel like the news is that it's going to be Kyle Schwarber. That's all the buzz. And like, I love Kyle Schwarber as an offensive player and he will be much cheaper than Chris Bryant. It's just his defense. Like, are we really going to add more bad defense to this team? Um, and I know Bryant's 2021 defense wasn't great, but I think like it's obviously better than Schwarber's. Um, I feel like Conforto could also be an option here. Um, I don't think he's broken forever. Uh, but Yes, my plan would be to sign uh, Chris Bryant. And so then the other main need would be the bullpen. And fortunately, the Phillies signing Corey Knable was something that was on my list, um, given that the sort of like proven closer trademark um, that are on the market and the amount of holes to fill, in my opinion, like they need two or three guys at least. Yeah. And if that you think that sounds crazy, they lost four bullpen arms. So like, yeah, they need at least two or three guys. Um, so I think that my sort of first like semi-realistic choices uh, are uh, uh, MVP candidate Ryan Tapera. <laughs> yes. And uh, Andrew Chafin is also a good option, um, though might, I don't know, might be a little bit more expensive. Uh, Chris Martin. And then absolutely, I want a Jake Diekman reunion. Um, and I also feel um. like... Uh, I maybe one could bet on a Nick Whitgren bounce back. Although I say that with like, I don't precisely know what went wrong in 2021. Like I have not looked under the hood. Um, and then I think that they need another like sort of starter guy um, because Zach Eflin is injured. And so yes. also no rotation stays healthy all year. And like the Phillies in the, in the, in the sort of stretch of uh of 2021 i'm like trying to remember what year it is what year is it um <laughs> like absolutely my favorite uh alex fest thing to quote i quote it on uh, our podcast all the time um uh is uh it was not having an like another starter even even promoting ranger suarez apparently out of nowhere um uh, they still needed another starter. And so like, yeah, they need, they need somebody. So like somebody in the, like Martin Perez, Brett Anderson, like tier. Bofa, Brett Anderson, also Bofa, Corey Canable. You're just going to sign all the old brewers. I, I, I mean, you know what? It's a really good organization with it good is. pitching. Like I'll take it. Um, I mean, I feel like we could also sign Zach Davies and have three Zachs and just go nuts. Um, <laughs> so the other, I mean, it's it doesn't it's not a good nugget necessarily. Um, but if the Phillies do not sign another starter, it's got to be Hans Kraus. Um, and it feels to me like a real mistake to 
uh, start the year with him in the rotation from the standpoint of his development. Like I say this out of yeah. love for Kraus, like, please don't throw him out there yet again. Um, he was very he was not great in his two starts in the majors or his single single triple A start. And the Phillies dire need forced him out there. And I'm just really wondering if he's like the 17,000th consecutive prospect in the organization that they have messed up. <sighs> so um, so that's my Phillies offseason plan. But I do feel like if you're signing Bryant and also, you know, I, it's not even like I've been like, and also sign Kenley Jansen. And like, I, I, I feel like this is still semi-realistic and yet you're still going to need to go over the luxury tax for this. Yeah, I, I really like the Chris Bryant. <laughs> signing idea because like like you kind of said it solves a problem and then it also potentially solves other problems that maybe might need fixing down the line especially like the third base issue with boom uh yeah no i think that's the perfect one i i don't mind the schwarber one i don't know what it is about schwarber but both like with boston and in philly i feel like he fits the city as well i don't know why just like him as a person just the vibe fits he he passes the vibe check i would say yeah um Yeah. Although, I mean, Chris Bryant is, uh, you know, also good friends with Bryce Harper. So I don't yes. I don't I don't know. He does not have that same Philly vibe. But I, I feel like, you know, he would he would just fit in with the uh, with the like. So regarding Schwarber and Conforto, I would hate that so much because I think both would be really good for the <laughs> Phillies. <laughs> Conf- I, I dude, if you guys get Conforto. You will love him. He's great. He's he's a really fun player. He's a good hitter. And as long, well, I don't know. How do you feel about your hitting coach? Uh, well, it's a new hitting coach. It's always like the defense okay. against the dark arts teacher at the Phillies <laughs> Academy. Um, I love that yeah, reference. You, it's like always a new person. Uh, and so I'm, okay. I, I, I don't know is the answer. Like hopefully better than the last okay. guy. Um. Yeah, so I think uh, I think Conforto is particularly prone to like changing up his approach, mm. uh, and I, I think he, the the opinion of the hitting coach I think weighs heavy on him uh, more so than some other players. But Schwarber annihilates the Mets. He annihilated the Mets when he was a National. <laughs> then he got traded to the Red Sox, and it's like, oh great, American League, don't have to see him ever again. And then they came, and he annihilated them for the Red Sox also. So it's I would hate to see Schwarber 18 times uh, a year going forward. So there would probably be great moves. It's yeah, it's I mean, you know, I definitely was like, oh, like Conforto and Wheeler would be reunited and like, you know, that would be nice. I'd be be very happy for them to sign Conforto. Um, Yeah, I also think that he's a good player and can't quite diagnose what happened for him in this past season. Uh, But I don't think that that's who he is going forward. Obviously, twenty twenty isn't who he is either, and that was very easy to diagnose because, like, his BABIP was like four hundred or something ridiculous. But yeah. uh, that that line will go on the gravestone of the Mets twenty twenty one season. I don't quite know what happened. I mean, I just up and down the yeah, roster. I I feel like I could give the same review to the Phillies of at least like the last four years as well. Like before that, it's like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be bad. Um, but yeah, like of the last four years, it's like, why did this? <sighs> the NL East just feels like a division of pain. Yes, in a lot of ways. Yep, a lot of pained fan bases. Yeah. Which for me, as as a Brewer yeah, fan, I think, like I mean, the only thing that I worry about is just like, okay, they're going to make the playoffs, but they're not really going to make it very far. They're going to choke. It feels like that's that's my yeah, biggest like, one. A reason that 
I can't have a, a polyamorous baseball lifestyle because I have enough pain in my life from the one team I root for. I can't imagine dealing with pain from any other teams. Well, but I, I think, and here's what I will say about my polyamorous baseball lifestyle is that it's mostly the joy that I take from my like mm. secondary teams. I don't think that I take on a lot of their pain. I'll be like, oh, that's too bad. Uh, really, the only pain that I take on is from my life partner, the Phillies. So <laughs> I, I, oh, I would say see, that as a matter of fact, like having the secondary partners of the other teams like helps me in difficult moments. <laughs> Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. So. Jordan, do you, do you remember what my playoffs were like this year? Because you chose to root for the root for the Brewers, and you brought that bad juju yeah. with you. The second <laughs> I, I I stated publicly, I am going to root for the Brewers now, and maybe that night, Biggest mistake. Devin Williams punched the wall and broke his hand. Biggest mistake of my and life. Then, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And then you know the the Brewers got knocked out, and then I was like, well, you know what? I guess now I'm going to root for the Giants. The Giants got knocked out, and then I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to root for the Dodgers in the World Series. And then the Dodgers lost the World Series. And so it was, oh no, the the Dodgers lost to the Braves. Yeah, they sure and did. then I wanted the Braves to lose the World Series, and obviously they won the World Series. So it was a rough uh, uh, playoff for me for uh, yeah. For trying to find joy. I don't think I had very many outcomes that were the outcomes that I wanted in these past. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously I have affection for the Red Sox. And so I was happy mm -hmm. that the Red Sox went as far as they did. Um, although like, I also really like the Rays. And so I wasn't like, you know, I kind of honestly would have been happy with a, a, either outcome in that particular matchup. But yeah, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a postseason of great joy for me personally. Yeah. I mean, there was, I mean, as a Phillies fan, you didn't have like as many victories as you would hope for to celebrate, but you did have some. So we have to ask you about your dance moves oh, and your God. celebration. <laughs> it's, uh, it, no, I have done this to myself. It is fair. Yeah. It is fair. Um, so basically, like, I mean, I know that Schwebzy has more specific questions about this. So, Schwebzy, I will let you ask exactly. Yes. So, all right. The, my, my main question, like while seeing these dances, I like there are there are a lot of uh, <laughs> there. I, I feel like there are a lot of different inspirations being drawn from in these dances, like from I, I've seen like, you know, hip hop, classic, uh, all sorts of styles. Do you choreograph these or is this, you know, on the spot? Do you come up with the dance? Does this come from the soul? It's a combination. It's a combination. Some of them come from the soul. Some of them are choreographed. Um, although like. The ones 
I mean, it's very easy to tell because some of them like are me at a ballpark and that's just like me dancing and being happy. The ones that take place in the room that we live in uh, is those those have been choreographed and I have I have choreographed them, but I have put them together from from moves that are from like, you know, hip hop dance in your living room for exercise videos. <laughs> that is that is the God's honest truth and I'm not here to hide it. Yeah. I, I think we found a side hustle for you, Ellen. Oh really? To make to make your own instructional hip hop in your oh, own gosh, living room no. dance videos. <laughs> no. Ellen, I bought your poetry book. But you I bought it. your poetry book. I will buy your workout video too. I will oh, do goodness. it. I will that, I will yes. dance right along with you. All right. The Ellen Adair workout plan where you work out uh, roughly 80 times a year because that's how many times the Phillies will win. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 81. Uh, just just about right. Yes. <laughs> All right. So so how how does this come? Like, is it it's the eighth inning? Jose Alvarado is coming in to close out the game. This this is when you're this is when you're conceptualizing the dances. Oh, oh, friend. I, <laughs> I, um, I'm afraid that I'm about to like burst a bubble and disappoint you. Uh, there are, I maybe like five dances that I just repost. Like most. Oh no! Yes, this is the truth. Most of those. I had a theory that that was what it was happening. And I wasn't. I like. I don't even <laughs> feel like that was a. You know, like there's only five dances. I didn't even feel like it was a a a. I've done I've done my research that I was like trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. Um, I will sometimes like cut to different parts of the dances just to like make them a little bit different. But no, I mean, so the the origin of these dances was because it was everything was shut down in the world. Yes. And I so like I didn't have auditions. I didn't have another job. I didn't have like anything and I couldn't go to the gym. So I was doing hip hop dance exercise video videos at home. And I was like, I should make a video for the Phillies because like I can't go to the ballpark and like I want to cheer them on. And I was very emotional at the time. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe actually because it was 2020 is the answer. Uh, but also like yeah, about they're putting their fair. health on the line for our entertainment and, you know, all kinds of stuff that like in 2021, learning the number of them who just decided not to get the vaccine. I was like, I was so concerned for you. Anyway, uh, that whole journey. Um, so at the moment, I was like, I just want them to feel like supported. I mean, not like I really think the Phillies are seeing the video, but whatever. Um, so that is why it was the only thing that I could do. And like, I'd made a few. So I think most of the videos are actually from 2020. And then uh, I recorded one uh, for like sort of the start of this season um, because I was also uh, prior to the start of the season, I was in Pittsburgh to shoot a television show and also like had to quarantine in my room and couldn't do go anywhere. So I was doing the hip hop uh, videos again. <laughs> and so nice. I did another dance. <laughs> so, yes, most of them are like not not remotely current. And so when the game is over, I'm just like, I picked this one because I'm wearing the jersey of the person or it seems like the right one. Uh, so, yeah, there's not uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm not like I, I wish that I was that together to just like record a new dance after every single uh, win. But I, I mean, 
my my wide-eyed wonder is a little bit shattered. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose this, this to, is, to just keep like, on believing what I believed oh, ten minutes ago. This is like walking outside of a mall and just seeing Santa on a smoke break. Yep, is what this is for Schwebzy. I'm really sorry, right Schwebs. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry too. So I won't tell anyone. I won't tell anyone. Else. Uh, yeah, no, because I mean this is only going on your podcast, so no one will know. <laughs> just imagine someday again you're on the field prior to a Phillies game there for batting practice and you once again get to meet Aaron Nola and he just walks up to you and it's just like I really love your dance videos that would be great that would be incredible yeah I mean I don't I don't think that he looks at social media really um so I feel like it is unlikely but I would be delighted to know that like it had reached my favorite player in the world or any member of the Phillies and that they were like, look at this white goofball, like <laughs> trying to dance. But I guess they love the Phillies. So that's OK. Um, yeah. What I want, what I would love to happen, what I like, what I dream will happen one day is that one day you'll go to a game. The Philly fanatic will be doing his thing on top of the dugout and he will break out one of your dances. That would be I mean, that would be the real dream. Yeah. Then I would know that uh, you've made it, that I'd made it. Yes. That is what I want for Thank you. you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll put it on the vision board. <laughs> aim, aim, aim high. Aim really, really high. Yeah. Uh, I did just mention Aaron Nola. I want to talk about Aaron Nola just like a very tiny bit more because Aaron Nola was part of one of Schwebzy's most miserable experiences of this past baseball season where he struck oh. out 10 batters in a yeah. row. Right. So we're we're past Festivus, but I, I do have like three particular grievances that I would like to air. <laughs> okay. This is Schwebzy's time. I'm just gonna <laughs> All right, yeah. So there there was Aaron Nola striking out ten Mets in a row, tying the record for most batters struck out in a row, a record that was held by Met legend Tom Seaver. So it was just particularly insulting i think i'm pretty sure i was listening to this game on the radio at the time so i'm just like just laser focused on what i'm listening to like no don't you can't strike out conforto for the second time oh and he did and uh that was if i had to rank them that was my number one worst phillies mets moment of the year Mm. followed by you mentioned dd gregorius as the shortstop having a pretty rough year this year if you know anything about Didi Gregorius, you know that all he does is pull home runs. Yes, it's he the, it's only the, the hits best home runs Didi to right field. Fact is his like home run spray chart. <laughs> Except once, he hit a home run to dead center against the Mets off of Marcus Stroman, and it's just like, of course, of course, the one time he ever doesn't pull a home run. He hits an absolute moonshot uh, off of the Mets' most consistent pitcher to dead center. And the one time that Marcus Stroman doesn't then, give up a ground ball either, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of all of all the people to hit a moonshot off of. And finally. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this was in descending order. So this is this is my, my third least favorite moment of the year. Uh, Phillies, Mets, Jose Alvarado and Michael Conforto 
when Michael Conforto did the whole stick the arm out thing to uh, to get a walk off hit by pitch. Yes, I remember it follow, distinctly. Follow, yes, oh, that that was horrible, and I hated it. I hated that he did that, but it was followed by the beanings and the uh, the very uh, aggressiveness between Dom Smith and Jose Alvarado. Just this one's less fun. This one, I'm just like I'm, I'm actually salty about this one, but. Uh, I, I, I've had a, it was a rough year for, for the Phillies versus the Mets. Yeah. And I would say it was a rough year for like both individual fan bases. Yes. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that Aaron Nola striking out 10 consecutive Mets game, um, I mean, that is, that it was not even a nice thing that we as Phillies fans were really allowed to have for very long before Corbin Burns decided to do the same thing. And be like, oh, Aaron Nolet, that's like not even a special thing anymore. <laughs> sorry, uh, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and I, like, I, I, I get it. Uh, but also, I was like, we just had this one nice thing. Because, I mean, and, and if I may have my own litany of complaints, it's really one main complaint. Um, although, actually, bef- before I get into that, I will say that 10 strikeout game i was filming a movie while that happened and uh had not been following the game at all uh usually i sort of try to like delay and and see if i can watch it later but my mom just sent me a text message she knows not to spoil things for me and was Mm. just like you might want to watch this game later and make sure you avoid spoilers and i was like i love you so much mom and i did and it was great oh man his curveball that day Ah, it was ah, it was so good. So in answer to WB Yates's question, does imagination dwell the most on a Phillies win or a Phillies loss? <laughs> the most memorable single game of the 2021 season to me was Aaron Nola at the Padres, eight and two thirds innings, two earned runs, eleven strikeouts, because there are many reasons. And the first one is illogical and emotional. And that is that I had a dream the previous night that I was climbing a mountain and I came to the top of the mountain and there bathed in golden, the natural-esque light was Aaron Nola pitching on a like, you know, remote baseball field. And I sat in the first row of like the five rows of stands and like he was just so good you know and and the pitches were just coming out of his hands so crisp and i woke with this knowledge that aaron nola was going to be good that day because um as pretty much anybody who like owned uh, who rostered aaron nola in fantasy this past year will recall like that was really an ongoing question as to whether or not aaron nola was going to be good and given the amount of love that i have for aaron nola like I had this is not an exaggeration. I would have like a sort of an upset stomach on Aaron Nola pitching days. So worried about what it was going to be. But that day I woke up and I thought he's going to be great. Like all day I just knew he was going to be not not just like good, like, oh, this was an okay start. I was like, Aaron Nola's going to be excellent. And to my memory, which is informed, of course, by... That by like this, this like holy certitude that I had that Aaron Nola was going to be 
brilliant. Like every single one of his pitches was dancing that night. So even, for example, earlier that season in his like complete game shutout versus the Cardinals, in my memory, like his two seamer didn't even show up that day, which was the problem was that there was always one pitch that's like, well, where did this pitch go today? Which is, you know, Mm -hmm. part of the mystery of being a pitcher. And I was just like, Aaron Nola is going to pitch a perfect game. I didn't say anything. I like sat like a child on the floor in front of our television, watching everything, but like I knew it in my heart. And then Brad Miller made that error. I mean, I still love you, Brad. Mm. And if he hadn't, I, I just like will go to my deathbed thinking that Machado wouldn't have gotten that hit because like Aaron Nola was demonstrably worse with men on base, uh, particularly this year. And uh, then, you know, if that hadn't happened and that inning had been over, then he wouldn't have been at 117 pitches in the ninth and he wouldn't have given up that homer to Jake Cronenworth. Like, I feel so strongly like we departed from the sacred timeline where Aaron Nola was supposed to pitch a perfect game and we were robbed. So that's my strongest memory from uh, from 2021. Ellen, I, I love that you responded to my grievances with just this pure, lovely story about Aaron Nola and the vision you had about and him. And also a grievance. <laughs> just, oh, okay. But you painted such a picture. It, like it was that lovely. dream. Like, I've never had a prophetic dream like that. I just, I, I can never remember my dreams. The fact that you have that much detail of what was going to happen and you remember it so vividly that you woke up that day just with that very, very good feeling in your gut, like good things are going to happen. I'm I'm envious of that, honestly. I don't feel like I typically have prophetic dreams. I always have very vivid dreams and often I'm like not a person remotely approaching myself. Um, And uh, however, like I think it's one of the one times that I was like, I I feel like I have had a vision and like it is going to come true. And then watching the game and him being so good, I was like, this is happening. Oh, my God. Yeah. (sighs) So fun. Uh, okay, as I think we have a few more, one or two more Phillies things to talk about. I know like sure. another term that I mean, beyond us loving the fact that you make Nicholas, uh, what was it? Oh, gosh, Professor Pollock. Yes, I think that's what we decided on. Yeah, Nicholas Professor Pollock. Philip. Does it have to be a hard P? Is that why it sounds weird? I think I thought of Philip because I saw a slave play last night and there's a character named Philip in it. And it was just uh, the first name that I thought of. Yes. Yeah, that proximity there. That makes yes. sense. Yeah. I have, to, I have to talk to you more about that after the after right. we're done. But um, yeah, the edging joke that you made about Zach Gallen back at PitchCon. Uh, <sighs> another uh, semi sort of tangentially related thing is you have a great name for when Reese Hoskins hits a home run. <laughs> and Shrubsy actually came up with one for one of his favorite players. <laughs> as well so uh, can you write yeah. it inspired can, oh, can you please what, tell us what yeah, you call please share with the class so my my fit my favorite player in the world is pete alonso i i feel i probably similarly to him that you do about nola uh you know his, his ebbs and flows affect my mood which is probably not great but yeah baseball so uh you know we know that uh his nickname is big meat pete so from from here forth, I will be calling him uh, his home runs, Big Meat Yeats. Oh, nice. Which, honestly, I'm shocked that that never occurred to me before. That feels like the logical endpoint. But yeah, 
We're now we're here. We got here eventually. Oh, it's which beautiful. Is how things work yeah, around here. And also, really just for wonderful. the listeners that the listeners that don't know, Ellen, could you please tell them what uh, Reese Hoskins' home runs are called in your Husk realm? Dongs. Husk dongs. It's just it. It feels so unnatural, but yet still so right. It's perfect. Uh, I'm it's so, so satisfying to say. I'm so glad that you like it, and I also feel like I'm gonna. Oh no! Do you do you? Do you want me to peel back the veil on where the Hoskdong comes from? Because I guarantee you, you're going to be disappointed. I, like, I, I still want I, I, like, to I feel it. like everything I'm doing is just uh, really destroying your dreams. I want to peek behind that curtain, please. Would Thank you, you. Would you please subtitle this episode, Ellen Destroys Our Dreams? <laughs> please. I, I, currently have it, uh, I currently have it named, I think, Off-Season Doldrums after your poem, uh, for oh, a oh, week for doldrums. doldrums. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Uh, but I can also put that as a uh, subtitle. <laughs> Ellen destroys our dreams. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I didn't mean to steal that. Uh, just you know, like T. S. Eliot, uh, immature poets imitate mature poets steal. Of course. Um, yeah. That was from the uh, CBS Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Where there was a time period in which they oh. were really call, like leaning into calling um, Homer's dongs, and some clever person submitted as a team name for Team Name Tuesday, Hosk Dongs and Hanegers. And I thought, Hosk Dongs, yes. So I just like took that and ran with it and never meant to like pass it off as my own thing. Um, and it is it like so that's why very often when I am making a joke, I try to make it be like a hot dog related joke, you know, like one hundred percent kosher, all natural <laughs> hot dogs. dogs. Yes. <laughs> um I mean, you know, also the hot dog, the husk dong thing that I'm not gonna get into anymore, uh, <laughs> that I think we all understand. Yes. <laughs> Trying to set a record for the amount of times dong has been said on this podcast. I mean, I, I it's a great honestly word. it's probably sometimes it's a word the that number you would want. just is probably higher than you sometimes would sometimes it's sometimes dong is the word that you want sometimes you're like he's hitting every ball for a dong like you want that amount of sort of comic resonance and like hitting every ball for a homer just isn't the same so yes I mean some of the other things so for example the like when when JT Romuto homers me just like at this point, just spouting random words that start with J and T, that is not stolen from anybody else, appropriated. Um, that was just stolen from me because, I mean, sometime when I was watching JT on the Marlins play the Mets, I yelled out, I love you, Jonathan Taylor, real muto. Um, not <laughs> like Jonathan Taylor me. Thomas. Yes, like Jonathan <laughs> Taylor Thomas. And then, and then just like kept on shouting out other things that I thought like JT could stand for. And so that's, that's where that started. But yeah. Nicholas Peter. Yes. <laughs> Nicholas Peter, real muto. <laughs> A jockstrap oh. tycoon is still my favorite. <laughs> jockstrap tycoon, what? Oh, um, okay. And uh, I mean, jump and throw, <laughs> like when okay. he, when he throws a runner out, is like specifically his name in that particular moment. But yes, there's coming there's, out of the crouch, of course. Yes, just taters is like the obvious one, um, although inaccurate because like he does not just hit home runs. There are many other outcomes. He contains he, multitudes. Just tools. Just mm. tools. Yeah. 
That's Pretty not good. a bad one. I like that one too. Uh, so I did want to give you a chance here near the end of the episode to talk about your podcast too a little bit that oh. you do with your husband, Eric. You do uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game, which was kind of a pandemic uh, creation that you two did. Can you talk a little bit about what it is for our listeners that haven't heard of it? You were so kind. So we... Uh, yes, had no baseball for a time. And so I was raised without a television, uh, did not have a television until 2010, I feel like is a more accurate statement than just was raised without. Uh, and so there are many baseball movies that I had not seen. And so I said, well, we should watch baseball movies since we have no baseball. And after we had watched a few, uh, Eric suggested, why don't we make a podcast about the baseball movies? And I thought about it and I said, only if we grade them on the 20 to 80 scouting scale used for baseball prospects. So yes. that is what we do. Uh, we grade baseball movies on the 20 to 80 scouting scale with different categories like baseball accuracy, uh, amount of baseball. Those are a couple of my favorite categories. But we also have a storytelling uh, section because, of course, Eric and I are both actors and writers. And so we care a lot about the way that the film is actually put together. And sometimes, you know, films will have bad baseball accuracy, but we'll be like, but we see the reasons why they made these narrative choices to sort of change things around because it made for a better story. Um, yeah. The delightfulness of catcher character tool is probably my other favorite. Uh, yeah, we have, a, we have a good time. And I feel like, you know, no matter how ridiculous the thing is that we're talking about, we usually figure out some way to like get fun baseball facts or research or something into there. So I, I think that uh, hopefully the podcasts are enjoyable for, uh, for a number of reasons and not just as a uh, complete absurdity. I mean, although that's mostly what they are. Yeah. So my question is, I just thought of this because of you talking about, I just remembered the catcher, catcher character delightfulness tool. Have you done an episode on Moneyball already? We have not. Okay, so my question is, when you are reviewing that, because I assume that you will eventually get to Moneyball at yes. some point. We're just parsing out the good ones because there's a lot more bad baseball movies than good ones. Yes. So Scott Hatterberg is recruited to play first base, but he was a catcher before that. Are you going to consider him the catcher character in that movie or would you consider him even though he technically does just play first base in the movie? That's a great question. And I feel like that's precisely the kind of thing that we would discuss on Take Me Into the Ballgame um, <laughs> as to whether or not that counts towards the delightfulness of catcher character or not. Um, we have certainly discussed in the past, you know, characters who are managers but used to be catchers and like, does that count towards the catcher tool? And, you know, like, does amount of catchers is necessarily inflate the score or if some of those catchers are less delightful is that actually a detraction eric and i sometimes have sort of uh different ethoses surrounding these kinds of things so these are the very important types of conversations that we have and i'm looking forward to having that when we talk about moneyball excellent uh and then also i just gotta ask because i feel like it's probably the most unique way to ask you about the podcast in a way that maybe it hasn't been asked by someone else. What do you mm. think is the most underrated movie? Like a movie that has kind of like a generally bad rap, but you didn't think or oh. you thought was better than expected. That's a very excellent question. Um, 
Because I think there's there's a world in which like sugar is underrated because it is the best baseball movie, but not mm-hmm. everybody even knows that it exists. But there's nobody who knows about it who's like, oh, yeah, that's not very good. Uh, and another movie that like I didn't even know about before the podcast that I cannot stop thinking about is a Japanese film by Kobayashi called I Will Buy You, which is great. Um but I will say I I quite liked Little Big League, and I don't know if it's underrated or not, but I think it is perhaps underrated vis-a-vis other, like, sort of young adult <coughs> baseball movies. Sorry. Yes, Little Big League, I think, is my favorite young adult baseball movie, which is a take given that like I'm including the sandlot in that the sandlot is great. Yeah. Nothing against the sandlot. I kind of like little big league better. I sort of feel like it might a little bit be a baseball movie for kids for adults. And that's why I like it so much. Um, But I'm trying to think about uh, Mr. 3000. Hey, Milwaukee ties. I'll take that. We, I think we thought was going to be trashy. And then we were like, you know what? Actually, this is pretty good. Um, oh, I'd also like to shout out the original Angels in the Outfield, which from like the fifties, from the fifties, which is far superior to the one from the nineties. I didn't even know that it's, existed. It's 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 so much better. There's so many you don't you don't actually see the Angels, which is such a much better choice because, like, in your mind, then they're great as opposed to like you know bad CGI. And there's something like actually a little bit sort of more like mystical about not seeing them do you know what i mean like it's not a joke so much um and also like the lack of misogyny this is an important tool for me also Mm. the lack of misogyny score for the 1950s one is much higher than the one for the 1990s even era adjusted that doesn't even surprise me yeah yeah um, um, I think the one thing that I would like to do is because they don't actually show like I haven't seen the 50s one. I've heard of it. I know that it exists. I just haven't watched it. I think I would like to imagine the angels as biblically accurate angels. And I think that would make the movie way more enjoyable for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like my experience about it a little bit is that I'm kind of like it's whatever is an angel to you. You get to imbue that into the movie. There's also this wonderful sort of like atonal soundscape when the angels are present it's great it's really great and and there are there are like many structural things that are different about it as well i mean there's also there's still the fundamental problem of like really this is what angels chose to do like angels y'all could do anything and you chose to help a baseball team like it was the 50s in america you could have done a lot of other things angels but yes um, so like that, that fundamental uh, philosophical problem that Eric and I delve into on on both of our episodes of uh, Angels in the Outfield uh, is uh, it still exists, exists for both. Um, I will say, though, the cast of the 90s Angels in the Outfield is great. Like when we Joseph when, Gordon-Levitt, he, he gives like a good grown up performance. It's not even yeah. like a good kid performance. It's a good grown up performance. And uh, yeah, like J.O. Sanders in it is just yes. so good, is so yes. good. And Danny Glover. Oh, my God. It's like it's a great it's cast. A great cast. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have met the casting director and she's a very nice person and uh, like way to cast Pam Dixon. That's what I have to say about that. 
So on the podcast, occasionally, we've talked about this before, surprisingly, Mabel has not made an appearance. It is it is strange. I mean, I could have her make a, a, a visual <gasps> appearance, probably. Please. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, we no, would love that. The, the main <laughs> thing is she, her, her number one hobby yes. is there are people in the stairwell. This is the uh, this is the thing that she okay. feels most strongly about uh, in the state of our country today. Is there are people in the stairwell, and it's a little bit later when we're recording this, and so there aren't as many people in the stairwell, and so I think that's why we mm-hmm. haven't heard from Mabel. Um, but uh, let me see if I can find her. I would love to see Mabel. She might. So she, you 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 are our second human guest that we've ever had, but. Mabel would be the third or fourth animal third do- third dog. on this podcast. Third dog, yeah. Third dog. I'm counting, I'm counting Merlin. I'm counting Oh, Merlin. Merlin. Okay, that's four animals then. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think um, she might actually be with Eric. Let me, let me just check. I'll be right back. Perfect. That, that actually encapsulates nicely how I feel about dogs versus humans. Truly. I, 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 would, I would like to have more animal guests personally. So in the overly literal version of angels in the outfield, like the over like like which angels players would be the one uplifting the players on the field? Would it be would it just be a bunch of David Fletcher's? David Fletcher, you are the wind beneath my wings. It would be it would be the uh, I mean Mabel. Mike Trout's the obvious one. Oh my oh, goodness. Look at the sweet baby. Oh my goodness. I'm back. Here's Hello, Mabel. Mabel. So we, <gasps> I, I was Hi, asking, Mabel. she's, she's in, she's in the overly literal, sorry, in the overly literal angels in the outfield, who would be, who, who would play the angels? Would it be David Fletcher? Would it be Mike Trout? <laughs> I mean, Shohei Otani. Yeah. Right. He's an angel. Oh, Otani, of course. Yeah. Quite literally. Basically. Yes. When you said it's that, like angel. literally everyone is like, has him as their baseball boyfriend. You know what? It's fine because he can hold all of us at the same time in those big, beautiful arms of his. He can. He really can. He really can. Yeah. Th- yeah. Like there's <laughs> enough Shohei Otani to go around. There really is. Uh, <sighs> so the reason that I'm happy that you have Mabel here right now is I really have to ask, um, what was the most recent song you made up about Mabel? <sighs> <laughs> So I see that Mabel has been talking to you. She's licking yeah. my hand right now. Um, She's like, what are you talking about with me? The most recent song that I made up about Mabel, you don't have to change a lot of the words, but you can sing. Happiness is a warm dog. Bow, wow, woof, woof. Happiness is a warm dog, mama. Happiness is a warm Yes, it is. Dog. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I guess there's the there's the verse about when I when I hold you in my arms and I feel my fingers on your whiskers. I know nobody's gonna do me no harm because. This is beautiful. It's a this just made me so happy. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's my best work. Um, I think that uh the the songs that um I mean perhaps perhaps my favorite is uh and I don't know if I'm even gonna be able to sing this without laughing, but 
Bark in the place where I sleep. Bark, bark, bark. Think about who's on the bed and who is not on the bed. Um, and uh, also, uh, let's give them something to bark about. Let's stay in bed and try to sleep. Um, that's Eric's song. He made that one up, but it's uh, one of my favorites. Yes. They're you can all see so good. Both of those are inspired by a similar situation. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry that I should have prefaced all of this with the fact that I am a single threat and I am not a good singer. And so I'm sorry. You are so much better of a singer than either of us. I mean, like if you asked us to make a song up right now about Mabel, it would go very, very poorly. And we're not going to subject the, our listeners to that. She's a good oh. girl. No, no, I'm very much kidding. Door jams, loves weasels and America too. <laughs> so you have such a nice voice. Uh, it's it's not good for an actor. It's like okay for a human being, but like it's a if for an actor, it's like a thirty grade, forty grade voice at best. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were at least good enough to be a background uh townsperson in red dead redemption 2 so your research is impeccable yes yeah well I mean, as a matter <laughs> of fact there was there was a run in there for a while where i did i had like a musical number in like five straight shows and oh, dang. i have no musical like musical theater experience on my resume so i was like why did you think that i could do this and like i guess i can but not as well as a musical theater actor could do it. I so. feel like I feel like musical theater. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of musicals in general, mm -hmm. um, but I feel like 60 percent of it is just fearlessness. And I feel like you're probably good in that department. Oh, um, I am not fearless about singing, despite what might have oh. just. Uh, yeah, like it. I think. Yeah, it's it scares me a little bit. Maybe that's part of what it is. And I mean, maybe it's also that I think I was l like, you know, less more fearless about it at one point and was told that I was bad and developed a fear about it. Mm -hmm. You know, life, the way things go. Beating you down. Yeah, I feel that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you recovered to write those songs. about. I mean, Mabel. I'll sing to Mabel because she's not a very harsh critic. I mean, look, she loves at, everything look at you this. do. Look at this. Look at this She's Walt so, Whitman face. Oh you know, my goodness, the Shih Tzu so goes pretty. through so many stages. There's the lamb stage. <laughs> and and then She's giving Ellen kisses right now. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, this yeah, is adorable. You might even be able to hear them uh, on the microphone. I think I'm picking up like very faint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Let, let to get in there in the, the editing afterwards and amplify the uh, the oh, normalize to three normalize to negative three decibels. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. We'll pump that up. Uh, the last thing. The last thing that I want to ask you before we wrap up the podcast is, can you explain the phrase, don't smell me? <laughs> this is a, <laughs> this is a Mabel original. Um, and uh, my, uh, my joke about Mabel, uh, and I say this is a person who, who prefers a not, uh, not assigned at birth pronoun. And so I say this with love that Mabel's, Mabel's joke is my name is Mabel and my pronouns are people person. Mabel considers herself to be a person and she does not consider herself to be a dog. And so when other dogs approach her and attempt to smell her, she will like tuck her little butt under and like scoot away. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and and like to for me, the voice that goes with this is like, don't smell me. Oh my God, don't smell me. So this is something that my husband and I will say to each other when like one of us is uh, making fun of the other one. And then the other one like wants the other one to stop. You know what I mean? So like I will misspeak or like say an incorrect word like I do obviously 10,000 times and have done on this podcast. And Eric will, you know, razz me and I'll be like, don't smell me. So, yes. Um, but uh, that's that's what that is. I don't I know that that's a good info. story, but. That's the I had truth. The of it. This was this was simply the info that I I was given to work with, and I did my best with it. But I, I like. I like that very story. It was that a fantastic source. Yeah, I did talk to Mabel. Yeah, she was very very gracious with her time. Honestly, just like you were tonight. You spent almost probably close. I mean, it's close to two hours with us now, <sighs> and every including moment tech difficulties has been a joy. What is your longest podcast? This. I, yes. This might be it. Yes, this, I, I knew. I it. knew it was going to be because we just we were going to make because any excuse to hang out with you, and you knew that it is impossible for me to be on a podcast and for it to be like less than ninety three minutes. Well, the you combination know? of the combination of like a pictureless podcast and then Ellen Adair is just like I mean the limit clearly does not exist of how long the podcast could be. It is infinite. Oh, oh my goodness, the limit does not yes. exist. Oh, I don't know that you like m- meant to like reach your spiritual fingers in and touch my soul by using that exact word, but you did. So thank you. I did. I yeah, did. Great. I got I mean, vibes I from like, that from the poetry did, book. You did read my poetry book. So I did. Uh, that's yeah, totally possible. Um, but well done. And yes, I've certainly realized that when I'm like, wow, every podcast that I'm on is like two hours. And then I realized that like, I'm the shared factor in all of the podcasts <laughs> and am to blame. So uh, but it, it, I am, uh, I am delighted when I learn that I am a a particular podcast's longest ever podcast. That makes me feel like, hurrah! I have succeeded somehow. <laughs> so, do, doing some very quick research. I want to say by at least fifteen minutes. Oh, also. awesome! I, Minimum. Like, we crush that other podcast. Booyah. Oh yeah, smash the record. <laughs> Take that, literally everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just we're just suck it past Chris and Jordan. Yeah, just starting out 2022 on a new, very wordy note. <sighs> Gosh, I don't want this to end, but I don't perhaps. Either. But I do should... have a like a suffocating list of things that I need to do before <laughs> I leave, like in the middle of the night tonight. Yeah, we will not. We will. We will not asphyxiate you. I can't even say it. Asphyxiate but you I mean, any I also longer. But I don't want it to end because then that starts, and like this is the best part of my oh, day. Oh, that's maybe, true. That's true. You know? So yeah. Well, happy happy birthdays, handsomes. Oh, thank you so much, Ellen. Uh, real quick at the end Thanks. here because I never. I should have done this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, can you quick just drop for people that aren't following you, your social handle, uh, and then also anywhere else they can find you? Yes. Um, so my Twitter handle is at Ellen underscore Adair. And on Instagram, I'm at Ellen Adair G. And uh, another thing that I do is I do baseball drawings by commission. 
And so if you are interested in that, you can also email me at uh, ellendrawsbaseball at gmail.com. I mean, in truth, I'm giving out this email address. So like you could probably use it and email me about about something else and that would also be fine. Um, But that is the purpose of that email uh, is for baseball commissions. Perfect. All right. Uh, And then also your podcast is on every podcast platform? I believe so. It's, yes. it's certainly on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. The main ones, the usual suspects. Yes. Yes. Cool. Right. Yeah, we're, we're part of the Underdog uh, Sports Network. And so we're also available through their website. Perfect. All right. You're I think perfect. that's going to be. No, you're perfect. Oh, really? Stop no. it. Okay. We're going to end it on that note of just like gushing over each other. Uh, Everyone say thank you, Ellen. Thank you, That's Ellen. You, thanks, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> I right, do thanks, what I'm Sorry, sorry. No, I'm going to okay. cough again. Maybe we can edit all of this out. We, we. I absolutely <laughs> will. I, I already wrote down a timestamp for it. <laughs> He wrote down the timestamp so that in the show notes, he could write at exactly, you know, one hour, 34 minutes. Ellen coughs a bunch. You're sipping from your Aranola cup? Yes, I am sipping from my Aranola cup. Although JT Romito is on the other side. It's 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 like the two main boyfriends on one cup. It's great. Two boyfriends, one cup. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's too bad that that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it can go in the episode. I'm putting it in. I don't care. Yeah, you got to put it in. Uh, it's going to be the third. Uh, just throw it in after the uh, two outro. boyfriends, one cup. Um, Actually, I have done that before. I have put things after the episode, <laughs> like after the end theme rolls. I will put sometimes things after that. So that's where that's going to live, and hopefully, Splendid. people enjoy it. Splendid. Yes, I'm very excited about it. Hopefully, Nick um, doesn't listen. So.